do you even feel that it's even a need for a record label this day and age? Unless you get a call from a direct call, not a call from Joe Blow, Bungalow, or somebody that's got a distribution deal, third party through a distribution, you know, that distribution company or something like that. If you get a direct opportunity at Interscope, you know, or RCA or one of the major companies, then yeah, consider doing a deal. You know, make sure you hire an entertainment attorney. But for the most part, no, you don't need a you don't need a record company, especially if you have your own financials, if you have your own budget. You know, when I say a budget. I tell artists don't understand in the music business, man. You got to have real money. If you're talking about two or three thousand dollars, you really don't have no money. You know, you're doing it as a hobby. It's a hobby at that point. Right. I'm talking about if you got twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand, then you really can basically structure a record company, your publishing company, your booking, your PR. You can really do all of that yourself and keep it in house. The key is is being able to have the knowledge to do it. I was always interested in the business side of the business. 
And, you know, I just grew up loving music, man. I grew up in the late 70s, 80s, you know, just loving the R&B things that was hot back then. I was a record collector. Anytime something new came out, I would spend, you know, all the other kids would spend their money on model cars and video games and stuff like that. I always, my first thing I did, went to the record store and bought the new, the, what was new. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I just had that love for music, man, coming up through middle school and then high school, growing up here in Dallas, uh, South Oak Cliff High School, uh, growing up, and, you know, just, just that love for music, man, the love for the sound of music. I was I was, one, I was that person that always wanted something on the radio. You know, I would, right. I'd come yeah. home, do my homework, and... They would give away free stuff on the radio. I would always be that one that call in and win. So, uh, yeah. you know, back when I was coming up, man. So I just, I just really had that love for music. And to make a long story short, um, you know, I went to the University of North Texas in Denton. And um, it happened to be a record store across the street on campus, across from the campus, the sound warehouse. I don't know how old you gentlemen are, but. It used to be a music, a yeah. dominant music store chain here in the, in Texas called Sound Warehouse, right. and it was a store in Denton right across from the campus. And, of course, same thing. I was in that store every week trying to find out what's new, what just came out, what y'all got in the back that y'all ain't put out yet. Right. <laughs> and yeah, the store yeah. manager, man, he got me and him just struck up a friendship. And finally he just hired me to work in the store part-time when I was going to school when I was going to college in Denton. Um, and then eventually once I got out of school, um, once I got out of college, of course I moved back to Dallas and, and I just kept working in the record store. They transferred me to my, my eventual goal was just to use that record store as a springboard to my eventual career job. Cause I, you know, I graduated in business uh, administration, marketing, yeah. all that, but just, the months and years went by, bro, and I just never went, never, <laughs> never pursued the career. My gra- my graduate degree, I just, you know, worked my way up in the sound warehouse music chain. I worked my way from, like, sales clerk up to shift manager, assistant manager, and they transferred me to various stores. I was at the store in North Dallas, store in Oak Cliff, and then eventually I got my own store. Uh, I was a Damn, store manager. Wow. And I did that for, you know, if you put a, a clock on it, it was about maybe six years. Uh, I ran a record store at different levels. And then what I did is I started meeting. I don't know if you guys remember the sound warehouse in Oak Cliff on Highway 6 and 7 in Polk Street. That was the number or your, your, that was the number one music store in the South. We sold more music than any other store in the chain. So wow. anytime artists would come through Dallas, man, back in the day, Babyface, Confunction, Michael Cooper, Roger Troutman, all the stuff that was hot back then, they would come through our store just to do an autograph party, a signing, things like that. And then eventually I just started meeting record reps. I started meeting record guys because all the other customers and the other staff employees at the store, they wanted to meet the artists and take pictures. I wanted to meet the reps. I wanted to get to know what the what the record guys did. Right. You know, the guys that was bringing the artists to the store, I wanted to know, how did I, how can I get in this business, man? You know what I'm saying? So 
so me and uh, a couple friends, we got to be friends, um, friend of mine by the name of Eric Thrasher um, at Motown, and a guy by the name of Mike Kelly. He was at Arista Records at the time when I was working at the record store. Eventually, I, they, got, they started getting me interviews at record companies. You know what I'm saying? Wow. As I was store manager at the record store. So I, I interviewed for about four or five jobs over maybe a couple of years. And then finally, my good friend Eric Thrasher, I mentioned his name, uh, back in 1988, Barry Gordy, uh, the uh, founder of Motown, he sold Motown to MCA Records. Right. And they, uh, Barry just basically cast out his millions, and MCA decided to keep Motown's existing promotional staff. So Eric, my good friend Eric, he moved up from like a regional rep here in the region, and he moved up to a national position. And over those years, we had became friends. He told me, he said, Terry, man, I just got a, a promotion at Motown, bro, and I need to hire a staff underneath me. He said, man, you want the job? Shoot. And so basically that relationship, that friendship, turned into me accepting a job at, at Motown Records, man, 1988. Um, wow. Moved to Houston. Had to move to Houston. And I started out as like a regional local promotions manager, basically working. You know, my territory was Colleen, Austin, Lake Charles, Lafayette, Lake Charles, Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana, and Houston. <laughs> right. So I had a little small territory. And that's how I got in. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, you know, I worked my way up from different record companies. I stayed at Motown maybe two years. and then RCA offered me a job. I took a, a job at RCA, BMG, RCA, same company. And then after that, I uh, left RCA and uh, got a, a national position, national director position at a company called Scotty Brother Records, which was owned by, oh, man, a ba major conglomerate. Really, music was a small portion of our business at that time. We had James Brown. Uh, who else we had? Skilo. I'm the one that broke that record. I wish I was a little bit taller. Yeah, um, yeah I remember that. Yeah. Uh, Twelve gauge. Give me some of that donkey. All that. Yeah. I worked yeah. all that stuff, and then eventually, Scotty Brothers offered me a, a vice president of the company, and they gave moved me to L.A. Moved me to Los Angeles in ninety five, ninety four, nineteen ninety four, and. You know, uh, I was in L.A. from 94 to 2000. I had several different jobs. Uh, um, um, Scotty Brothers, yeah. I left for a boutique label that Universal founded called Celestial Breakaway. I'm the one that signed Nate Dogg at G-Funk Classics Volume 1 and 2. I put that album out and broke that. Yeah. Um, I signed Lil' Kiki, Jam Down Records. Yeah. Back in the day, um, several other major projects, man. Uh, we had um bunch of, you know, so I bounced around to three or four different labels when I was in L.A. Right. And then, um, uh, that's my partner calling. And then, um, you uh, what was it, late 90s? The late 90s, bro, the Internet hit. Internet hit. That's when then Napster and all the Internet things, all the technological advances. And then record companies just basically started shutting down departments. They just started shutting down. So record companies started shutting down. 
Um, you know, and I was jumping from label to label, you know, because I had a lot of relationships. So I just decided to leave L.A., uh, get back to tech. I moved back to Dallas in late 1999, early 2000. And I started my own company. Uh, you know, I wanted to pursue my own company because, you know, we saw how cash money grew. I knew Sugar Slim and Baby back in the early 90s when they first started that. You know, I used to run into them cats all the time um, uh, on the highway throughout Louisiana when I was working with RCA, um, uh, Rap-A-Lot, um, all the Houston stuff, uh, some of the Atlanta stuff, um, LaFace Records had, had, had started at that time. So, you know, my goal was to launch a major corporation and a major label in Texas uh, when I moved back, and and that's basically kind of the the foundation of it. That takes you up to the year two thousand. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that was kind of a long winded explanation, man. But that's kind of my journey. Right, exactly. You know, through all the major label stops and and things like that. I had the opportunity to launch uh, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, Will Smith, and you know we still friends to to this day. Um, SWV. Oh, man, looking on my wall here, high five. I worked all at Jive. Cause, you know, because back in those days, man, Jive owned RCA. Right. I mean, I'm sorry, RCA owned Jive. RCA right. owned Jive. So all that stuff that Jive had, Too Short, Boogie Down Productions, High Five, R. Yeah. Kelly, Aaliyah. E-40. You know. Yeah. Two, which was it? Say E-40. It again. Yeah, E-40. All that stuff through the early 90s. You know, we launched all of that. When I was at RCA, and you know, so I, I've been blessed, man. I just had the opportunity to work with a lot of great artists. SWV, I think I mentioned them. Right. Um, uh, James Brown, uh, Weird Al Yankovic, uh, uh, yeah. bunch of artists, bro. Freddie Jackson. A um, yeah. lot of projects I worked over the years, um, and that's basically, you know, when I started my own consulting company, man. When the bottom fell out of the music industry, and here, you know, and you know, I can go through the 2000s, but, you know, we can get on to some of the other questions here. But I can probably answer some of the other things as we move forward. Right. Yeah, so dealing um, with the with the labels, what was the average day like uh, with the, the day-to-day runnings at a record label? Well, of course, see, back then and to, even today, man, you know, various departments at record labels, the record industry record was totally different than it is. Now, right. um, you know, I oversaw the radio team and the street promotions team. Of course, there was no Internet back then. Uh, so we relied on PR, marketing, a, a publicity department, a street, a street team, which consisted of all the paper goods stuff, you know, flyers. It was back then we, we used to do snipes, uh, things like that. So really the day-to-day was really, man, uh, for me, was just sitting down with, you know, having meetings with the various managers of the artists that we decided to sign. Uh, some of the artists I signed, some of the artists came to us through our A&R department, things like that. And we would come up with a marketing plan, a concept, you know, come up with a projection um, based on what we thought we could sell on a particular project. And we would sit down and I would allocate the budgets to each department based on the projections 
the sales projection for each project. And then my job was to go out and make sure that money we allocated was spent well and, you know, to blow the project up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So my day-to-day would be, you know, listening to music, uh, meetings, um, you know, of course, you know, talking to radio, radio stations and DJs, you know, working with um, R&R, working with Billboard magazine. Those were the two dominant publications back then that could basically control the industry. And then, of course, we did a lot of industry events. The events back then was totally different than they are now. Um, you know, we had an event. You know, the industry was a lot smaller back then. So, you know, we had Jack the Rapper, which was in Atlanta, um, big event. The BRE uh, convention, Black Radio Exclusive was what it's called. Uh, that convention, uh, Hits Magazine had a convention. I don't think Hits is around anymore. BRE. Gavin was up in the Bay Area. We would have like maybe six or seven, uh, eight events. Uh, the Grammys, of course, Soul Train Music Awards. Those were, you know, the the events that we prepared our projects for. You know what I'm saying? So the goal was to set up your project so you could. And then, of course, you know, I would meet and sit and with, uh, meet and have conference calls with our distribution partners, uh, BMG, uh, WIA, at the time, some of the labels we had BMG, some of the labels we had, uh, you know, to make sure, you know, because those distribution companies, they distributed a lot of labels. So our, our job was to make sure our product got the right attention, right to shelf space and rec- in the stores. Uh, as far as you fighting for shelf space, fighting for advertising space, you know, advertising on radio, uh, TV, local cable. So, so basically, that's what the music business was totally different back then, bro. It was really more, it was a smaller industry, much more tight-knit um, than it is now. Uh, a lot, you know, we can get into, you know, some of the other things. But that was really the day-to-day, was just basically making sure our product was gaining exposure through right. all means. Okay. Yeah, so, and a lot of a lot of things that uh the main thing that the artists be getting confused is on how to get their songs copyrighted. Now, because uh, I'll be telling a lot of them, they have to go through the uh through the copyright office. Now, uh, can you tell our listeners um what what do they have to go through to get the songs copyrighted? Well, uh, and see, like today in the year two, uh, 2017, you can do a lot of things online. You know, they simplified a lot of the things that can be done online. Um, copyright.org, copy, the Copyright Office, uh, copyright.org. You know, you can go to their website, read through it, copyright your music um, through the Copyright Office. Of course, back in the day, there was no such thing. You right. would have to submit product, you know, submit something via mail and wait on them to return your documentation. But, you know, you can do that online. As far as setting up your publishing account and your songwriter's account, uh, of course, you got BMI, ASCAP, CSAC. Um, uh, you could, those all have online websites where you can publish your song, publish your, your works online. Through those, but and all those services are free. See, see, the, see the, a lot of these artists don't understand these publishing and, and songwriters and copyright companies. They make money when you make money. 
Exactly. They take a percentage of your sales, of your uh, – their job is to monitor airplay, is to monitor uh, streaming online, um, to be able to, you know, monitor that. They get a small percentage of your act. Because a lot of artists don't understand. When a radio station play your song, Spotify, online or a, a terrestrial radio, you know, they have to pay you to pay to play your song. Okay. They have to play, pay your publishing company. They pay your, you know, your whoever administers your songwriter's service. You know what I'm saying? So right. especially today with music sales just on total decline, that's really the main, one of the main revenue sources now is through your publishing. So I tell artists, man, to really educate. And, of course, you know, my company offers those services. Those are the services that we offer with TAM Music Marketing and Consulting. But, you know, if you don't have a big budget and you want to do it on your own, the key is to just educate. You know, so you got to sit down at your computer, man, and educate yourself. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Really educate yourself. Um, you know, you just got to really educate yourself to what's going on and how, and how these fun, you know, how your music makes money. Right. Yeah, you know, because. of course, YouTube now, you know, that was a big, uh, the big thing over the last, like, five years now with all, you know, with all these Internet services, Spotify and, and what else, you know, some of the other ones, um, you know, they, they stream, yeah, they stream in your music. So, you know, you had the, the copyright um, companies and publishing companies really have to have a tighter hold on where your music is being streamed because, you know, all those are earning, you know, and even if your song is used, I mean, like if somebody use your song, um, use a portion of your song or use your song to create a video for them, or even television shows, man, television shows, commercials uh, on TV, you know, they if they use your song, you know, they have to pay you a royalty. So, that's one thing artists got to do, man, is really educate themselves on, 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 you know, where the money is and where the revenue comes from. Right. Yeah, because I was at a, at a conference uh, a couple of months back, and uh, they was talking about uh, what the record labels, what they have started doing. They realized one of their biggest assets is the publishing, and they have started renewing all their licenses and starting to license their songs out as much as they can to every media outlet because they're looking at that as a, as another source of income to help keep them afloat now. I'm going to tell you, they are. I'm going to tell you, bro, <laughs> take it from somebody that worked at the major labels. The major labels, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, I wish no, I don't wish nobody, you know, anything ill will to anybody, you know, because right. I still got a lot of friends that work at the labels. I wouldn't be surprised if some of those start shutting down, man, because they—they're not making their—they their sales are so down. Nobody's buying music anymore. Right. I mean, prob—you know—they're not—they wouldn't admit it, but I guarantee you, they're probably losing about seventy percent of their music sales just through you know downloads and file sharing and. You know things like that. So yeah, that's what the record companies. You know, because I got a, um, I don't want to call no names, but I got a couple of friends of mine that, you know, run record companies, and yeah, that's what they're trying to do. And I think, you know, even one of the questions that we discussed prior to this call 
was the 360 deal. See, back when I was coming up and doing deals, there was no such thing, man, as record companies getting part of your show money or doing contractual agreements where they're getting part of your or your revenue from concerts and all of that. Now that's what those 360 deals are, man. They, you know, record companies are looking for ways to make money, more money from the artists because they're losing it as for the retail component. You know, I mean, there's a few people buying music on iTunes and downloads on, you know, Spotify, eMusic and Amazon, things like that. But for the most part, I wouldn't be surprised, man, in the next, five years or less, uh, music is just going to be totally free. Right. They're, they're probably going to come up with some type of system where they're going to use just give away the music for free and be able to use the music to sell other, other products. I mean, you know, cut, cut deals with McDonald's where, you know, put a, put a download in a Big Mac or something, or in a, in a Big Mac <laughs> box or something, and, and give away music, you know, give away a free single with a Big Mac. I mean, I'm just using that as an example. But yeah, put a couple of singles in a Happy Meal. <laughs> yeah, I'm just using that as an example. But those, yeah. things are, those things are happening now, man. Those things are going on now because if you look at – some of the social media things that are out there, uh, SoundCloud and Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, I mean, they gladly want you to share your music. They have no vested interest in all the music that's out there being posted and shared and things like that. You know, they want, they want your traffic. They want all these artists that generate all this traffic. On, they want your traffic. They're they using your traffic to advertise their uh, hits and the amount of hits they're getting on their platforms to major corporations, right. you know, yeah. for site placement. They, so they Facebook doesn't care about your music. They could care less about your music, right? you know, right. as right. far as who's – they want your traffic. You, see, you understand what I'm saying? Because if, right. if you got 50,000 hits on a Facebook video, that's traffic for them, and they can sell that to Coke. Or they could sell at the Pepsi. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So, so to answer your question, yeah, the, as far as artists, artists and record company owners today, they just got to be real savvy, man. And, you know, that's the problem with the music industry today is you got so many artists that are CEOs and trying to be CEOs. And, you know, I mean, that fad kind of started, man, back with Puffy. Puffy and... Uh, no Limit, uh, Master P, and, you know, Cashman, some of the other artists that became celebrities, and, they, of course, they were record, record company owners. And right. then as those things trickled down to some of the smaller cats, you know, everybody wanted to be their own CEO now, but, you know, they don't yep. know the yep. business. <laughs> you know, they don't right. know the business. Right. And that's the part that's suffering especially dealing with independent artists, is the business side, which I love it. I mean, I ain't complaining because they're coming to me. <laughs> right. right. They hire my services, and that's what my company offers. So, you know, just to answer your question, bro. Yeah, so uh, with, with town music and consulting, what what all do you do your office? It's basically like a one-stop shop for artists, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. Um, it's a one-stop shop. Really what I do is 
And, and I'm gonna tell you what I tell artists, and and, and I'm, I'm gonna kind of give you the long-winded answer, but I'm gonna condense it as as, as easy as I can. Uh, in today's music industry, you got to have money to launch your project. I tell people all the time, you're not gonna break a project with no money, right? No money and no knowledge. I mean, you could get on Facebook, get on Twitter, get on LinkedIn, get on Instagram, post it a million times. Nobody's going to hear it. The, the real people, you'll get to the fans. Don't get me wrong. You'll get your music to the fans. But to the reputable yeah. people that control the industry, you got to have somebody that's got relationships with the higher-ups to be able to open up some of those major doors for you. And that's what my company does. I mean, we get radio spins nationally. Um, you, know, at Clear, you know, we have relationships with all the Clear Channel. Because basically, man, it's about five chains that own about 80, 90% of the stations around the country. Uh, Clear Channel, iHeart, Radio, Cumulus, and Radio 1. And um, there's a couple more. CBS, you know, has an urban set. CBS Radio. Um, right. A few others, some smaller chains as well. Perry Broadcasting is a black-owned chain. They've got about eight radio stations nationally, but you got to have relationships with key people, and that's what my company does. Um, you know, we get your music on radio. I'm talking about real spins at right. major market radio stations. Um, and also, you know, we have relationships with all the major DJ conglomerates around the country, um, Vertico, of course, um, um uh, bigger rankings, DJ Click down in Florida, um, um, all of them, man, coast to coast. You know, a lot of the D uh, core DJs, people I've known for, you know, TJs, DJs down in Tallahassee, um, you know, cats around the country that I've known for years. You know, I just got, I got, I got pockets, man, that we can break a project. Now, like I tell a lot of these cats, man, you got to have a good record. You got to have two things. You got to have three things in this music industry today. You got to have a great project, a great marketing plan, and you got to have some money. Right. You understand what I'm saying? And uh, that's basically what we do. We get it played. Of course, you know, I have a publicist, two or three publicists, uh, media people that I work with around the country. We do bookings. I got. I don't do, like, day-to-day booking. What I mean by that is, you know, I don't do the hole-in-the-wall clubs and all of that. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't do that anymore. We do the major event bookings, um, Super Bowl weekend, NBA All-Star weekend, uh, Magic Show, um, South by Southwest is coming up. I don't know if you saw online a big event that we're doing down there. Yeah, Um, Yeah, several of the other things that we do. Uh, around the country, those are um, um, uh, Soul Train Awards, BET Music Awards. Uh, we don't do the actual events. Don't get me wrong; I don't want to put it out there that we control those actual events. We we do a lot of the piggyback events, a lot okay. of the right. a lot of the pre events, a lot of the post events, uh, things like that. You know what I'm saying? That type of thing. I'm going to be working with OG Ron C. He's doing the 10th annual OGC, OG Ron C. Music Conference Super Bowl weekend in Houston. So I'm helping him market that. 
And, you know, so that's what I do, bro. Okay. Yeah, but right. and and a lot more than that. Internet, of course, all the internet marketing, uh, eblast. Um, you know, we all, you know, we have over a million subscribers in our database, um, and a lot of artists don't realize, man, the music business is worldwide. Uh, right. Worldwide, it's yeah, a worldwide yeah. market now. You got to be able to touch, and more importantly than that, you got to have a product that's marketable in these international territories, bro. Um, yeah. You know, people don't realize that Germany, the UK, Japan, Australia, those are Germany, UK, Japan, Australia. Those are the biggest hip hop markets outside of the United States and Canada. And wow. you know, I got tours and DJs over in those markets, things like that. So the music industry is an international market now. It's, it's international. You got to be. You know, you got to be tied in with these organizations. You got to know where to go and who to touch to get your music played. And that's basically what my company offers. Usually what I do fresh is I sit down, you know, I get a call, which I get 10, 15, 20 calls a day. Artists want to get on our shows and want me to work their record. I sit down with the client, find out what their needs are, find out what their budget is. You know, I listen to the project. I don't take the project until unless I like it, unless I know I can break it. Right. You know, yeah. probably 80, 85% of the stuff we get, we turn down because it's just not, you know, I don't work any thug hip-hop anymore, to be honest with you. I don't work any underground because no, your radio stations don't want to play it anymore. The DJs, you know, the 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 uh, the, um, the the major chains don't really want to play that stuff anymore. So mainly we work in the, the mainstream hip-hop. Mainstream, you know, um, um, it could be explicit. Don't get me wrong, but anybody talking about who got shot in the hood and I went to jail doing this, yeah. doing you know yeah. all that, all that underground shit, man. It's nothing I can do with that. Right. So you know, I sit with the client, find out what they need, find out where they're trying to go with it, and then I put together a marketing plan based on their budget and based on, you know, and you know, like I tell a lot of these cats, man, music don't break quick, bro. You know, you gotta, you know, you might work a project a year before you see, um, you know, some traction. Um, eight months, so you know, you gotta, you gotta be able to, you know, stay in the ball game competitively. You know, financially, you gotta stay in the ball game. It's just like any other business. I mean, if you opened a, you know, if you opened a, um, uh, a restaurant, you know, you gotta. You know, you got to market it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So that's basically it, man. I know I'm long-winded, bro. Go ahead, bro. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so let, let's get into that about the radios. What's the pros and cons with traditional and Internet radio? Ooh, pros and cons. Okay. Yeah. Well, traditional radio, uh, your major FM. Where you guys? You guys where? You guys in East Texas, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm in Louisiana. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, some what city? Alexandria. Oh, okay. Okay. So you work with what's my guy out now? Really? That since they pulled the BDS uh, tracking from Alexandria, really don't work that market like we used to. But the point I'm trying to make is, is if you have a substantial budget, then FM radio, of course, that's your easiest and, and best way to reach the masses of people. You know what I'm saying? I mean, K104, K, uh, 97.9 to beat here in Dallas, V103 in Atlanta, 
um, you know, Q93 in New Orleans, WGCI in Chicago, some of the bigger radio stations around the country, those are the way to, you know, those stations are, are, are gettable. Don't get me wrong. You got to market your product. And, of course, you know, we have to sit down and put together a game plan to get those stations. But a lot of independent artists don't have the budget to initially. They don't have the initial budget to go and get some of those major stations. So, yeah, I mean, you go get the Internet stations. The Internet uh, base of stations, of course, is smaller, the audience. It's right. smaller. Um, yeah. You know, it's a smaller base of people actually lit- listening to each station. But you got to understand, Internet stations are not regulated. Uh, eventually, they will, because uh, you know how these big business is. Once, uh, and that's what I'm hoping as Internet, um, and, of course, you know, Internet now is available in your cars, or you got apps now where you can get radio. Right you know, on your phone, in your cars, and all those type of things. So as the public transitions from terrestrial radio, because believe me, major FM radio stations, they're, they're, their listenership is down. They're, they're not going to admit it, but their listenership is down because they're competing with other things. They're competing with, you know, XM and, you know, Internet and, you know, all the other things, uh, flash drives, um, everything. So, to answer your question, man, the the difference is you, you you know terrestrial radio, mainstream radio is going to be more expensive to work um, and to close. But you know, don't sleep on internet radio stations. I mean, the reputable ones. Uh, it's the wild wild west out there now. Because really, you know, if you can put a, you know anybody now can design a website, get your hosting company you know, and set you up a, a server through one of the uh, internet, what's that coming? I can't think of the name of one of these internet radio stations. Then you, you got an internet radio station. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anybody can do it. The key is, 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 is as the fans transition from, inter- uh, from mainstream to internet radio, then us as marketing people, we got to be ready. And we are, I, I am, I'm, you know, major labels are not. But my marketing is ready for that transition. Right. I don't know if I answered your question, but but the point for artists is is you got to be able to work all those outlets and be able to find where those you know. Now a lot of the internet stations, the problem with the internet stations right now is is the major advertisers. Uh, I'm talking about Coke, Pepsi, you know, Chevrolet. A lot of the, the major uh, corporations, they're still they're spending money at, at FM radio. That's where they're spending their money at because that's the bigger fan base. Yeah, yeah. But as these companies do their research, uh, the Cokes, the Pepsis, the KFCs, and they find out where their listeners are, they're going to start eventually buying advertising on Internet radio stations. You know what I'm saying? The bigger ones. The key is, is, is is right now the internet stations don't have a revenue stream. They don't know how, and most of the guys that have internet stations, they don't know how to create a revenue stream, which, you know, like I said, most of the internet stations, you know, they, they just start up a station. They really don't know. So they're trying to tax the artists and charging on fee to get records played on the internet stations, which, you know, I respect the hustle. I'm not hating on it, but what but as, as things transition, uh, internet, Radio is going to become more viable 
But on the positive part, but on the negative part, believe me, once these big money investors see where those those big money clients are going, then they're gonna start buying those up just like they did with terrestrial. But that's a <laughs> you know, that's a long story. Right, right. Those are some of the things that I deal with, man, when I'm talking to my, you know, investors and my clients is just staying ahead of the curve. You know what I'm saying? Right. So So anyway. Yeah, so so can you break down the difference between the mechanical and the performance performance warranty? Ooh, man, now now we're talking the, okay, like I said earlier, that's not totally my expertise, but. A performance royalty is basically where you're getting paid. The radio stations, anybody that streams your music or uses your music, they have to pay a royalty to your publishing company. All right? So that could be your music played on radio, video, streaming, Spotify, where television, commercials, clubs, wherever. You know, the key is, is the, if you're the original copyright owner, you got to make sure that you that you protect it, that your music, because that's what those companies do. Those companies, uh, those cop, those third party companies, the ASCAP, uh, BMI, CSAC, you know, all those companies, Harry Fox, their job is to collect royalties on your behalf. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Now, you know, uh mechan- now, hey, what is, what was the other one? The mechanical, what was the other one? Um yeah. mechanical royalty. Yeah, the mechanical royalty is like for instance, if you record a song and you go in the studio, let's say if you own Ice Ice Baby, uh, the song. I don't right. know who actually owns the copyright to it, but if somebody actually re-records that song, or if they use a portion of that mechanical part of the song, meaning if they take your original recording and use that to create their song, then they have to pay your publishing company, or that they have to pay you for the use of that song. Now, of course, you know, sampling, you know, a lot of these cats, man, a lot of these artists, you know, they don't know anything about that. they just sampling songs. You know, they're going with what fits. But believe me, I mean, you guys heard about what was the big suit that happened a couple of years ago when uh, Marvin Gaye's estate sued. Um, yeah. um, Who was that? Justin Timberlake's? Or, Justin Timberlake's uh, company. Yeah, they sued uh, Interscope. I think it's Interscope. I can't remember who owned it, but uh, it was. No, it wasn't Justin Timberlake. It was that. What was that guy? Um, the other white guy. I can't think his name. Um, uh, Thick. Robin Thick. Yeah, Robin Six. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that song where they used uh, got to get it, got to be it, got to get it, got to be enough. The old Marvin Gaye hit. Uh-huh. And they didn't get it cleared. They didn't they didn't do the clearances on it. The label didn't. Um and the songwriter didn't clear the song. And man, they had there was a big loss. I think they settled that suit what, this year, or this year or last year? Yeah, and what's crazy about it, they tried to sue the estate of Marvin Gaye. <laughs> no, Marvin Gaye's estate collected. I know it was in the millions of dollars um, for the use of their of the mechanical for that song. So that's an that's an example of it. So here's the thing. Here's what I tell my clients: If your record becomes a hit, then you're gonna get sued. 
if you use the mechanic, are you gonna get you gonna get a cease and desist? Exactly. They gonna get you gonna get a cease and desist. But if you don't, if your record not making money, believe me, these people don't have time to chase down people that don't have money. They gonna come after if you making money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so the key is, is you know, you just got to make sure, man. And that happened. Um, um, you know, I don't. Uh, I'm trying to go back. What was the name of the song? Uh, Oak Cliff. That's my hood. Remember that song? It was a hot uh-huh. record back in the early 2000s. Um, uh, early two. I think I had just moved back from California. Let me give you a short story on it. Uh, a, a lay a friend of mine at a record label. I don't want to call any names, but they they were trying to find who owned that record. They were trying to find it, and it was some guys here in Dallas because uh, that record was getting a lot of spin, but they hadn't registered with BDS. They hadn't registered. You know, the guys whoever recorded, they didn't know what they were doing. So anyway. Um, the guy that I know that owned the record, that ran the record, he was trying to find the, the owner of the song. He said, Terry, K-104 don't, can't put me in their direction, blah, blah, blah. So finally, uh, I, I guess I gave him the guy's name. Who was it, Lil Sock or somebody? A couple of little local uh, producers around here uh, made the record, and they had no clearances, <laughs> no nothing. On the song, there was there wasn't even an agreement in writing between the songwriter, between the guys that did the verses on the song. Wow. So once the, once the label reached them and tried to set up a meeting with them, and to try to you know get the business worked out so they could reissue and re-release the song legally, and then the guys got into an argument. The own I'm talking about the little local guys that did. So come to find out, nobody made no money on the song. Nobody made any money on it, you know, because he, he they scared the money away because there was no clearances, there was no legal documentation, there was nothing. It was just hey, let's go in the studio and record a song. And that song potentially, man, somebody could have made you know half a million dollars on that song. You know what I'm saying? Right. The songwriters and they could have shared it. Of course, I think they used the sample. For they, you know, the label, the my friend, my home, my homeboy at the label, he was talking about they had to clear the sample or whatever, so they were going to have to chop up the money, but they just never could. And then by the time they start getting the business together, the song had died out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the lesson to the artist is is make sure your paperwork, your if you bring in a side artist, if you bring in somebody to do a song on your song, like for instance, a lot of these artists they'll pay. Somebody, uh, you know, they'll pay Wiz Khalifa to do a track, do a verse on a track. You got to make sure you have clearances on that song. You got to have clearance from the label, and you have got to have clearance from the artist. You you understand what I'm saying? Right. Because if that song blow up, and all of a sudden Sony want to come in and pick the record up, believe me, the, the Wiz Khalifa going to come to you and say, hey, man, I didn't get him right to put this song. I'm just using Wiz Khalifa for example. I mean, no, if Wiz Khalifa here this, I'm not hating on him. <laughs> but I'm just using him as an example. But they're going to come out and say, hey, man, I didn't get him permission to put that record out. Right. Yeah, and then I'll before be- you know it, all the money going to be gone. So, you know, for independent artists out there, you just got to make sure that you educate yourself as far as publishing, uh, third-party clearances, all those different things is very important. Exactly, because I remember that happened years ago when uh, the Dr. Dre and True first. When they did the So Contagious song, 
There you go, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and they went the right way. They had called Universal over there in India. They never did get no uh, no counsel. Nobody would call them back. They just went ahead on and did the song, and they're singing, no, they come India calling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think it had some type of uh, – uh, Indian publisher that owned that 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 Indian um, right. verse in it. I mean, when I say India, it was the country of India. Some type right. of um, sample they use. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So all those things are very important, man. When you get and those are some of the things that we do. Because before you know, I got an artist going in, the, in Miami that's going to the studio to. Uh, drop a song that we feel like is a hit, and you know, same thing. I gotta, I gotta do the documentation and the paperwork for this song because we're getting ready to put about sixty thousand in marketing for this song, and I gotta make sure all the eyes are dotted and the T's across before I release this song. So right. all those things are important. Yeah, so so uh, nowadays, how is the distrib- how is the distribution systems? How do they operate now in, within the digital era? Well, okay, um, okay. Let me just explain it like this: terrestrial, uh, and and basically, you can do your own distribution out there. There's a lot of channels out there: TuneCore, CD Baby. Um, you know, you can set it pretty much set up your own iTunes. You can set up your own distribution. Now, um. Same thing is you got to educate yourself through that because this day and time, the days of getting a major label deal or somebody come in and signing, those days are pretty much over until you break a record. Sony and Def Jam, all these, the friends of mine at these labels, they'll tell me up front, Terry, I ain't looking at no records. I'm not signing no act. They're not interested in the artists until you got some major play in a major market radio station. So the best thing to do is is set up your own distribution. Uh, there's a lot of scam companies out there, man, that's saying right. they doing digital distribution and they can get you distribution through Universal or through this or through that. Man, keep it simple. Do your own distribution, you know, because if you do one of these third-party distribution companies, you know, you think you're signing with, you know, they mad, these scam artists out there are saying you got a deal with Universal or Def Jam or something. But, you know, in the in the contractual agreement, you know, you have to sell a certain amount of product before they distribute funds to you. Forget all that, man. You do your right. own digital distribution, and then these digital distribution companies, they're going to pay you real time every month, <laughs> you know, once a month. Right. I mean, CD Baby is the best. I mean, go to cdbaby.com, set up your digital distribution account. They're going to pay you every month what they owe you. Right. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, keep it simple. I mean, especially in the startup level uh, or if you're independent, do your own digital distribution. I mean, my company, we can do it. You know, we set up the digital distribution, but, you know, I don't administer to the distribution. What I mean by that is, is, you know, we offer that as a service. We'll set up the CD Baby account or a TuneCore account, but we basically turn everything over to the artist management, meaning their, their password and login. I just, you know, set up their bank account. And I just give it to them because I don't want, I don't want to – 
you know, get sued or be liable for, you know, any any of that. You know what I'm saying? Right. So if that explain if that answers your question, I mean, just, you know, it's just, it's real simple. Artists, set up your own digital distribution because the bottom line is, is in the early stages of marketing your product, you're not going to sell a whole bunch of product uh, through downloads anyway. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's good to have it in place, but I would focus my efforts on creating an audience. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Break your product. So do you do you even feel that it's even a need for a record label this day and age? Uh, if you have an experienced person like myself, or and not just me, man, there's some other record guys, veteran record guys out there that's very reputable. Now, you just got to make sure, you know, because there's a lot of scams out there, man. <laughs> believe me. I mean, it's a scam artist on every corner. Right. Um, but to answer your question, unless you get a call from a direct call, not a call from Joe Blow, Bungalow, or somebody that's got a distribution deal, third party through a distribution, you know, a debt distribution company or something like that. If you get a direct opportunity at Interscope, you know, or RCA or one of the major companies, then yeah, consider doing a deal. You know, make sure you hire an entertainment attorney. But for the most part, no, you don't need a you don't need a record company. Especially if you have your own financials, if you have your own budget. You know, if you have your own budget. You know, when I say a budget, I tell artists don't understand in the music business, man, you got to have real money. If you're talking about two or three thousand dollars. You really don't have no money. You know, you're doing it as a hobby. It's a hobby at that point. Right. I'm talking about if you got twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand, then you really can basically structure a record company, your publishing company, your booking, your PR. You can really do all of that yourself and keep it in house. The key is is being able to have the knowledge to do it. You understand? Right. Yeah, because yeah. doing a deal with a record company, I mean, believe me, I ran record companies, bro. I mean, you're going to get in those contracts, you're going to get an invoice. <laughs> One, you're going you're gonna to get a quarter. They're going to have your, con- your contract is going to be structured where they give you an invoice every quarter, depending on the structure of the deal. And then your your profit is going to be, they're going to give you an invoice and say, hey, we spent A, B, C, D. Here's what you sold. Basically, you didn't sell enough, so basically you didn't make no money. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and see, they taking out of your budget. They record rep traveling fee. They record rep went to Chicago to work your record. That comes out of your budget. You understand what I'm saying? So right. a lot of the things that you don't know, you, you're not in control over your expenditures. It's just like if you started a, a, a restaurant, if you opened a restaurant, you want to know your expenses, you want to know your revenue, you want to know everything, you want to see the books yourself. See, the record companies are not going to let you see your books. You right. know what I'm saying? They're not going to let you see their books. I'm sorry. They're not going to let you see their their books. Yeah. Unless, unless you go in and sign a, you know, you, you know, once you become, believe me, Jay Z, Beyonce, some of these top level acts, 
Now, of course, they have deals that are structured differently. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Right. You know, their their deals are structured differently. But if you're a startup artist, believe me, man, you, you're not going to make any money at a record company. They'll give you an advance, but basically they're going to, you know, you're going to sign a 360 deal where they're going to make money from your, they're going to take half your publishing. They're going to get money from your shows. All it, It's just very complicated. As an independent, it's best to do it yourself. Right. And uh, a while back, we had an interview with this with this producer, uh, Crazy C, and uh, we had asked him about, you know, his opinion about the record labels, and he said that, because uh, I'm, I'm asking this question into another one, because he said that, you know, back then with the record label, you know, they was the gatekeepers, you know, they, they, they had and pick their artists who they wanted to uh who they wanted to help and put out them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time it kept a lot of the garbage out. And since the internet it, it the the music seemed to became oversaturated. Everybody thinks they could rap, everybody thinks they could sing and everybody thinks they can produce. So with that being said, what what what's your opinion about uh how it was back then and the way it is now? Well let me let me say this. Let me say this. Let me say this, Bryce. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my opinion, and I'm gonna give you a rationale for my opinion. And I I explain this at a lot of the music conferences, a lot of the things that we do, and we're gonna right. talk about this at at our South by Southwest event as well. The music in my 30 years in the music business, this is the worst I've ever seen, as far <laughs> as the business of music. Wow. I've never seen it this bad as far as business, uh, breaking artists, the lack of knowledge out there, uh, the snakes, the the scams that are out there. It's almost where the music business has been relegated to to being a hobby. And it's it's, it's like a glorified hobby for I guarantee you probably about 90 to 95%, 90% at least of, of the people out here that's doing music, they're not making any money. They're not making it. They don't know. They don't have the knowledge for whatever reason. You understand what I'm saying? Right. So, yeah, the, the, all, the Internet caused it. The Internet basically allowed everybody to become an artist. The technological advances. I mean, you can basically set up a recording studio in your bedroom, on your on your PC, on your laptop. Um, it's the software programs out there have simplified everything. It's 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 <laughs> it's just like it's it's you know it's just like the photography business, bro. I mean, you know, everybody got a camera on their phone now. You know, back in the old days, we used to have to hire for the, when we did when I did a, a tour with Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh. I I had I used to hire a photographer. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? Right. Now everybody got a you know everybody got a camera on their phone. Um, it's just that the technology has allowed so many things to infiltrate the business, to infiltrate the copyright, to infiltrate the 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 camaraderie of the business. You got so many people in the business that don't know what they're doing. They're not educated, 
And that's the negative part of it. The the positive is the Internet has allowed, uh, and some of the technological advances has allowed expenses to, to for, for us to do. A, if you got a good project and you know what you're doing, you can make money at a at a much at a must a much cheaper uh way uh as for your expense. I give you an example. I mean, back when we did Skilo's video, I wish I was a little bit tall. You can look at you can go to YouTube uh right now, look at that video. Uh yeah. Skilo. That was a that was a video of the year for YouTube <laughs> yeah. back Yeah. We found that kid in LA uh that was the, one of the biggest records of nineteen ninety six. I think it was ninety six, ninety seven. Man, that video cost us thirty thousand dollars. We could now you can shoot that same video for probably six hundred. Wow! <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you can shoot. I mean, so my point is, is it's not all negative as far as the technological advances. Uh, studio time, Bernie Grumman out in L.A., some of those major recording facilities. Man, they should charge fifteen hundred for ten hours, <laughs> ten hour block. Two, you know, two, three, five hundred dollars an hour. Now you can get stu- you can get a great studio for probably under hundred dollars an hour. You understand what I'm saying? Right. So, some of the technological advances have been good for the music industry, but you know, most I say eighty percent of the things out there that have happened in the business have, have been done for the negative. For the, it's not good for the business. Now, how do you uh, make money? The key is, it goes back to what I said earlier, you got to educate yourself, I mean really educate yourself, and you got to be able to bring people in, reputable people in that know what they're doing to navigate your way. Because it's to a point where now, man, there's damn near many, many people trying to do music than fans. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's hard to reach the fans because you're trying to navigate your around everybody that's doing music. It used to be a point where you used to go to. I tell people this story all the time. When I was at the record labels, if you you could be in a club at anywhere in the country, man. You could be in Seattle, Chicago, L.A., Miami, anywhere in the country. If I walked up to a club door, the club could be packed. If I had my RCA jacket on or my Motown jacket on, I had some vinyl in my hand, the door, the dude at the door would be like, oh, man, that's a mo- that dude with the label, man. Come on in, bro. Come on in, man, bro. What, what you got new? What you got new? Yeah. You were, you were a celebrity if you worked at a record company. Now you walk up to a door, a club door with the music in your hand. What's the first thing they say? Man, you can't bring that music in there, bro. Can't bring them CDs in there. <laughs> It's like music has been so devalued as a property. Yeah. The property of music has been devalued. You understand what I'm saying? Right. So, because there's so much garbage out there right now, so many people doing music, so much garbage out there. It's like, I mean, it's took man, um, I know I'm long-winded, bro, but, I, you know, and hopefully you could chop some of this up, edit it as we go through. But, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, Jazzy Faye, uh, Phelan, Jazzy Faye, good friend. I've known, uh, you know, Phelan was the the son of uh, um, um, 
good friends, one of my mentors, the, the bass player for the Barcade, James Alexander. Okay. You remember the old school group, the Barcades? Right, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, Phelan yeah. is the son of James Alexander. Me and James Alexander, I go back with James Alexander way back. So I knew Phelan. That's his name, Phelan. I knew Phelan when he was a kid. That's the same jazzy fake. Uh, Nitty Beats, and, and okay. who did Nitty Beats. You know, I launched all those producers. Uh, Don Vito, uh, we did, who did Cherish and Jagged Edge. And, man, back, because I used to sell tracks for Jazzy, uh, Nitty Beat, Don Vito. I used to be able to get $10,000 a track. Wow. I'm talking about back in the early, when I first moved back to Texas, early 2000, until about 2007, 2008, I used to be able to get seven, you know, seventy five hundred, ten, sometimes fifteen thousand a track, and see, I'm getting fifteen percent. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Man, now, shoot, those cats, man, we can't get a thousand for a track. We can't even get is jazzy, jazzy, nitty, nitty don't even do tracks no more. Don Vito don't even do tracks no more. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's no market. I mean, you got beat makers out there selling track. They, they're giving away for free now, $20 or, yeah. you know, four for $20, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then I get calls from these producers. They be like, man, I heard about you, bro. I want to see if you could help me get placements, man. I be like, bro, man, ain't nobody. I said, bro, how much you getting for track? Oh, man, I can get $100, which I know they can't get $100. I'd be like, bro, so I said, man, if I'm getting 20% of $100, that's $20. That ain't, that ain't worth me making phone calls. <laughs> I don't have time to manage no producers. There's no money. So you see my point. Exactly. Is the music business has been so devalued. It's, the key is now to make money in the music industry, man, is in the publishing shows. And, of course, you've got to create a market. You know, you got to create a market for your project. You can't break a record like like Sugar Slim, Baby, Master P, Rap a Lot. You can't. You know, them cats, man. They multimillionaires. They got it when it was good. Right, right. <laughs> they got in when it was good. Yeah. Those, but those days are over. So, um, you said that uh, you're not going to be you're going to be a speaker at the South by Southwest coming up. Yeah, I got an event going on down now um, that we're doing, you know, our seventh annual DWE uh, Artist Showcase. Uh, you probably saw it on, on, on LinkedIn or Facebook. I don't know. You know, you get our email blast. Um, me and my partner, we do it every year. It's at the Holiday Inn. Um, we we got a ballroom down there. We, we get, it's a three-day event. It's um Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, um, March 16th through the 18th. And it's very similar to the music conferences that we used to do. Uh, we do fashion uh, early in the daytime. Uh, we got to a venue from 12 noon to uh, 12 midnight, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Early in the day, we're doing fashion, hair, and then at the night, we do showcases. Oh, okay. Okay, so you yeah, So it's a multi-entertainment event. And, of course, I'm going to do a panel like I used to do with the East Texas Music Conference, the Texas Summer Music Conference. 
I think you had that in the questions as well. I found that those events, you know, Texas Music Conference, right. which turned into the East Texas Music Conference. We did the Central Texas Music Conference. Well, anyway, I don't do those conferences anymore. Okay. But at this event, I'm going to do a panel, you know, educational panel um, all three days. So this event, uh, if anybody wants to get any information on that, they can just, you know, go to my Facebook or go to TamMusicConsulting.com for information, or they can shoot me a, you know, shoot me a LinkedIn message, you know, Tam Music Consulting on LinkedIn, Terry McGill on LinkedIn, you know what I'm saying? Gotcha. And they can shoot it out there. You can post it on your site if you like, oh, and uh, if anybody need information on how to get involved, you know, get a performance slot, or if they're a model, they want to come in and model some fashion, or if they, if they have a clothing line, um, you know, we do, We got designers out there that's displaying their clothing line. We This is the seventh year we've been doing it. It's, it's the biggest event of its kind at South by Southwest. It, we're not, it's not a South by Southwest event. I don't want to get that construed. Right. It's, uh, it's an event we do in conjunction doing right. South by Southwest weekend. Right, right. Because uh, the South by Southwest conference itself, it's still two weeks, right? Uh yeah, two week event in Austin. I think it's um mid. I don't have the day, exact dates in front of me. I remember when that. I mean, I know the white dude that started that conference back in the nineties. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, back in the late eighties when I was in Houston. I was at Motown. I remember sitting with them, sitting with these dudes over at Southwest Wholesale when we was putting that conference together, and that was twenty eight, twenty nine years ago. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, okay. um. Yeah, I think it's a two-day event. It's the biggest music uh, event uh, in the world now. I mean, you know, of course, it done, you know, they've turned it into a film event, and, you know, they do film and everything. But it, it, it don't really have a lot of – and, of course, they sell all their stuff, man. You know, all, they take all their submissions like six months in advance. You wow. know, if you – you know, you can go to their website. Uh, so, you know, go, they could Google it. Um South by Southwest and, you know, learn about the actual event itself. Um, you know, it's a multi-genre event too, man. It's it's rock, country. They got everything down. The South by Southwest is like Super Bowl weekend in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's huge. It's like a two-week event. Uh, so, Bumba Clark, you got something you want to add? Uh, no, nah, man, he, bro- he broke it down crazy. I mean, I learned a lot of stuff here, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, hopefully y'all could chop this up, man, and I appreciate y'all. Appreciate y'all time, yes, man. Uh, like I said, if anybody wanted to get a hold of me, they can go to my website. It's tam, tammusicconsulting.com. And, of course, you know, we're all over Facebook. We got about 30 different yeah. Facebook groups and pages <laughs> We do a lot of marketing online, so we're very easy to find. And uh, looking forward to working with you cats, man. I mean, next time y'all got something going on out there, man, let me know. Yeah, absolutely, man. I really I don't do a lot of the running around from various events like I did when I was younger. I right. usually focus on our event, but, you know, I definitely want to invite y'all through come through and network with a lot of the artists and designers. You know, this like I said, this this is mainly a daytime event. You know, we created this event so we're not conflicting with a lot of the other 
Because, you know, 11, 11.30, our event is over. Right. You know, so I'm telling everybody, they got time to go down on 6th Street and hit all the other things. I know I talked to Bigger Rank, and he's doing his thing. Uh, Big Daddy at Vertico, they got a big thing coming up on Saturday. They doing down now. So, you know, definitely, man. I mean, put the word out, man. You know, maybe we can, you can chop it up on that. And we can get y'all to come through our event. I might, you know, get y'all to come through. Okay, cool. Up, All yeah. right. And there you have it. Hip Hop is, uh, you know, learned a lot about the industry. And if you want to get in touch with uh, Mr. Terry McGill, reach him on LinkedIn or on Facebook. Hopefully I gave y'all some information y'all could use, man. I know there's a lot of stuff that was jumbled up and, you know, I was kind of long-winded on some of the subjects, man. But, you know, if anybody interested in scheduling a conference call, scheduling a meeting, just get at me, and we're going to have an individual discussion and go from there. All right. That's what's up. Hey, brother, yes, sir. Hey, brother, let's wrap it up, man. Okay, guys. 